I would tell them not to give up. I would tell them to keep going because I've honestly, like we've been doing it for two years now and it's not, it's not perfect, but it's, it's grown a lot. Um, and it's honestly like, I, I would not want to go back to doing just acute care after it. Like it's really, it's a very exciting place to practice, very rewarding place to practice. And I, I feel like more people that step into it will realize how wonderful it is and how much you can actually help patients like short and long-term really. Welcome back to In the ED Now, a podcast that makes you an excellent physical therapist in the emergency department. I'm your host, Dr. Rebecca Griffith, the ED DPT. Today, I'm happy to have with me Dr. Addie Javes. She is a physical therapist practicing in the emergency department in Wisconsin. And what she's going to share with you are how she got her pilot program started and and made a practice in the emergency department, barriers that she's faced and how she's overcome them, and some tips and excellent strategies on how to prevent burnout when practicing in this area and in healthcare in general. Tune in. Thanks for being in the ED now. All right, welcome back. Welcome to the show. I am so excited to have you in the ED now. I am here today with Dr. Addie Javes. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so happy you're here. Tell everybody a little bit about yourself because I know we've worked together a little bit in your role as an EDPT. So tell people how you got to that point and a little bit about your story. Yeah, I've been um, in acute care for almost six years now. And we started like a PT pilot program I want to say, I think it was like March, 2021. So it was like two years ago. Um, we, my, my boss was super nice and picked me and then an outpatient PT to kind of head off this pilot for three months. And, um, from there we've just been trying to grow it. Um, and it's been really exciting, honestly, like kind of a crazy whirlwind and roller coaster of ups and downs, but overall I really like it. Um, I still kind of, I float to the floor in between the ED with basically an on-call model, but we have kind of toyed with sitting down there at times, which I ultimately would like to do full-time, but, um, otherwise overall, like, I feel like my, my true passions other, other than the ED would be, I really enjoy treating the vestibular population, which I think is a, another reason I like the ER and then. I'm also the uh, obstetric population too. That's amazing. So a lot of skill sets there. Yeah, I just, I really like, I mean, I've listened to your podcast a bit and I really enjoy your um, concept of like specializing of being a generalist. Yes. Which, An all patient therapist. Exactly. So I, I love that. I just always want to be learning something new and how I can better treat anyone that walks in the door. So I, I want to just commend you because 2021, it was probably a hideously bad time to start any kind of pilot program, let alone in the emergency department. I know I started a second pilot in RED in 2022 and we were still surging and we had to stop because we were in crisis standards of care. And so I, I guess my first question for you is, do you feel like when you started your program impacted the way that things have gone for you? 
slightly in I feel like if we would have started at a different time, we probably wouldn't have run into all the barriers of um, like staffing constraints and not being able to sit down there. I feel like we, you know, ever, I feel like every hospital ran into this, right? Where like maybe you were on some sort of hiring freeze or you couldn't, um, you didn't have enough people to cover the floor. So you can't have someone downstairs in the ER. And then you have people in like boarding in the ED as well, or like, you know, along the walls when it was super busy with all of those, you know, upticks and census. Um, so I do feel like, yeah, maybe if we would have started at a different time, we, we could have spent more time physically sitting down there, but I feel like we're still headed in the upward direction. Like it's definitely grown a lot since we started. Which is good news. And hopefully you can kind of find a new normal. And in some cases, like a post pandemic or I guess we're really not done with the pandemic, but like a post-catastrophe time is maybe a good time to start building something new because I feel like the entire healthcare landscape has changed. Have has thing, have things changed significantly in your hospital? Yeah, I feel like um, overall, I just get this sense that it's harder for people to get access to the care that they need. Mm-hmm. Like... I have people that are waiting to get into their primary doctor for a lot longer than I feel like they used to, or especially specialists. Um, yes. Like I know a lot of a lot of people that have, sometimes I feel like this affects the ED, right? Because if people aren't getting into those specialists and getting the answers they want as an outpatient, they can get very overwhelmed or frustrated or just like kind of look for answers. So they come to the ER. Yes. And I think that's absolutely true. I I can think of at least um, one patient who had a ruptured ACL and it was not very stable, but the soonest orthopedic appointment he could get was six months later. And so he had just been like out there trying to work, trying to do the things he needed to do. And, and really had no idea what he should be doing because he wasn't referred to a physical therapist to start working on rehab. He wasn't given a brace. He wasn't given any education. So he was very concerned, very worried, had had a lot of knee instability and just didn't know what to do. So he literally came to the emergency department and said, I need somebody to advocate for me because I don't know what to do. And so we did. We set him up with PT. We got him a little bit of a brace that was helpful for him. And we educated him on like what an ACL rupture was and like how he could still continue to function. And I think in that case, that was all he needed, but was the emergency department the best place for that care to happen? Probably not. But as you're seeing, it may be the only place it can happen right now. Exactly. Yeah, I know. I, I feel like sometimes it's a, it's a very expensive PT evaluation. for Well, I, I say that all the time that I'm the most expensive physical therapist out there, not because I'm charging a lot of money, not because I'm like, paid some exorbitant amount of money, but because you're coming in and you're paying for the entire ED context and the physical therapy. So yeah, we're, we're the most expensive PTs out there. We are. 
but I, I guess if it if helps people in the long run, gives them their answers, I feel like it provides a lot of comfort for them too. Yeah. So I'm not saying we don't have the most value. We have a, t- a tremendous amount of value in the setting that we're in, but I, I agree with you that ideally there are so many patients that shouldn't make it to the emergency department at all. I think mm-hmm. we've seen a lot of people with barriers to getting into their primary care physicians as well. And I think some of what you were talking about with the boarding in the emergency department is also a result of that lack of access to care. So if you see your primary care doctor and they're like, you need to see the cardiologist for your congestive heart failure, but you can't see the cardiologist for three months. And then you don't get on any medications and you don't manage your condition, then your congestive heart failure spirals out of control. And then you need to be admitted to the hospital. And then we end up with no beds. Yes. Yes. I feel like that. That's definitely happening too. It's, it's frustrating. I, I, feel, frustrating. I feel the frustration for every patient that I see that's like, I just really needed to see someone for this three weeks ago and I still can't go anywhere. Yeah. And I was hoping I could get an MRI here. And I was like, we don't really do that in the ER. I'm so yeah. sorry. Uh, we super bad. don't do that. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think the other thing that I'm noticing is just that um, patients don't understand the extent of these access to care issues. I had a a family member who was wandering the halls in the hospital, trying to verify that there weren't any rooms available, like going room to room to room, just to prove to himself that there weren't any um, rooms available. He was uh, removed from the hospital for peeking in other people's hospital rooms, but like that's the level of frustration that patients are having. So when you started your program, tell us how you started, like how did you set things up? Um, we started with, uh, just sitting, well, I guess before we even, before we even started, we, we tried to shadow down there a little bit, just like, I, I think I sat with a nurse for a couple of days just to get an idea of what they do down there. Cause we, prior to that, all we really did was get called for like rehab assessments. Like, oh, Hey, this person fell. I'm not really sure we have a reason to admit them to the hospital, but I'm like, not really sold on them going home. So we get called, we go down there, do our assessment, just like we do on the floor. Um, But then otherwise we didn't really go down there for anything. So we started off with shadowing. Um, I can't really speak for what my manager did because she was the driver in starting this. (laughs) So I know that um, once that was accomplished, um, when we actually started our like little pilot program, I, man, I remember, I think during the week I carried the phone so they could call me if needed. Otherwise on Tuesdays, I would sit in the ER from 2 PM till 7 PM. And then one of our outpatient therapists, um, who he actually as a student had done like a clinical rotation in an emergency department. Um, and so he kind of like knew a little bit more about it and like kind of like the ups and downs of it. But he volunteered to cover the 2 to 7 p.m. on Fridays. So otherwise, the rest of the time I was just carrying a phone on the floor. Um, But the whole point was just kind of to increase our presence down there, um, get to know the providers and what they do and just kind of maybe bug them on like, hey, this person fell. Like, do you think I could go see them? Um, I, I will say that was like kind of an almost an awkward interaction at first because they didn't fully 
um, understand our role in the ER, which is totally understandable. Um, and then it's also just, it's a little intimidating at first to go up to these providers that you don't really know and be like, try to convince them that you should go into a room. Um, but luckily I think what helped us was, I mean, one, everyone down there for me has been like really super nice and accepting, but then we have had a few providers that did residencies in emergency departments that had physical therapists. So I was like, I think that really, that helped us kind of get going a little bit. Yeah. So I think you've identified like a clear barrier. Number one to people who are trying to get into the emergency department is this like lack of awareness about what a physical therapist does. And I think some of that is because emergency physicians through their training, they may not interact with physical therapists as much as other physicians. So if you're an ortho resident, you know who PTs are and what they do and what services they offer. If you're in physical medicine and rehabilitation, obviously, you know, if you're a primary care doc, like you should, should hopefully have some knowledge of what a PT does, but emergency physicians, like their track is so different, really more focusing on emergencies and theoretically PTs don't fit into that as commonly. But when you really look at what they are treating, what they're evaluating, what they're seeing every day, there's a clear role for physical therapy. And I think once you can help your medical partners to see that, they're more than happy to have you be part of the team. Has that been your experience? Yes, I feel like they are super excited to have us down there. They, I mean, I, even the other day I had one, one doctor, like every time she sees me, she's like so excited that I'm working. She's like, oh my gosh, I'm so happy you're here. Um, I already have like two people for you. Like they, they have all been very like wonderful and supportive. Like it's, it's basically just a learning curve once they see what we can do. And like, we both understand what each other's roles and what we can bring to the table are. It's just a really nice collaborative environment. I totally agree with you. I feel like it's one of the best team environments once you're part of the team because emergency physicians in particular are very good at knowing when they need to refer. So once you offer this as a resource, they're like, thank you. I'm so happy to have another person that I can bring in that can provide this specialty care so that they can focus on managing everything else. It's just like, if I need to call the the stroke team, I'm gonna call the stroke team. If I have a safety concern, I'm gonna call the physical therapist. Exactly. And I think I love that just the, there's, there's less of like that hierarchy down there. They're more like they ask for your consult and they truly are wanting to know your thoughts on the patient. Like they're like, okay, so what do you think it is? Like, and what should I do with it? And I feel like rarely on the floor are you asked that. Yeah, I think on the floor too. And as acute care therapist, just like you said, when you come down into the ED, it's intimidating to start just directly interacting with the physicians. And I think part of that is because in a typical acute care settings, it's a very vertical hierarchy where you're you're maybe not ever even speaking to the physician, depending on the type of model that you have. In a, in a large academic medical center, there's so many layers between you and the attending physician. But in the emergency departments, this very lateral hierarchy where everybody's kind of working together to move things as quickly as possible. So I think once we recognize that, too, and that we're at that like same level, I I would encourage people to empower themselves to feel that same level of competence, that same level of belonging and assert yourself into that team environment because you do have so much value to add. 
And I feel like it actually has given me more confidence in like how to approach physicians on the floor too. Yes, for sure. Like, for sure. like in the ER, you might be like, oh, all right. Like I really worried about a hip fracture. Maybe we need a CT. Like I maybe before wasn't super comfortable. Like I maybe be like, hey, like they have a lot of pain. Like you don't want to like tell them what to do. But like right. now I'm just like, hey, really worried. You might like, would you be willing to order a CT? And like most of the time they're like, sure. Like they're just yes. appreciative of your input. Yeah, I think what I've noticed when I go like back up to the floor and I'm trying to advocate for a patient, I'm just way more direct than I would have been in the past. And I find that that's typically the best way to communicate. And the last time I had an admitted patient, I just said, hey, like this patient uh, is not oriented. They cannot answer questions. Their hip is hot and swollen. When I touch it, they're, they're withdrawing in pain. Like, I think we need to image it before we do anything else. And the physician's response was, if you're concerned, I'm concerned, I'm going to put the order in now versus in the past, I might've just been like, Oh man, I'm really worried about this. I don't know. Maybe I'll talk to the nurse and see if she can talk to the resident and then, you know, and it's like this game of telephone instead of just being really like direct and clear with your communication, I find that they, they do want that input. They do want to know, and then they want an action that you want them to take. The action piece, I think, especially in the emergency department, and tell me if this is not your experience. If I give them a recommendation for action, I find that action occurs. No, I agree. Cause um, I, I do feel like that's, that is a difficulty, I think, when other people are, we're trying to like have other people cover the emergency mm -hmm. department. Yes. If they don't tell the doctor like um, what their like differential diagnosis is or what they think should happen, the doctor's just kind of sitting there like, well, what what do you want me to do? Well, what then? Yeah. Like yeah. what? Yeah. And, and, and what? So I think that's barrier number two. When you don't have a consistent team of people in the emergency department, it's very difficult to establish that partnership with the medical team. So <laughs> cross-training other people to work in the emergency department can be a big barrier to starting a practice. And, and I think one thing that you've probably learned is that when you're starting a pilot program, you need to have a consistent team. I, yeah, I would agree. I think um, a lot of it at the beginning, too, is building rapport with the providers and the nurses. Because, um, I mean, now they all recognize me. They know who I am. They're like, you know, there's there's like that friendly environment, whereas like no one was like directly mean, but you do kind of feel like you're walking into this group of like really close friends and you're just that outsider like yes. in the corner. <laughs> it can be a little clicky, right? Yeah, yeah, it can. But, but I find I mean, that in, in most units in the hospital as well can be a little bit like that. I agree. And so that's where we're like, I mean, you kind of learn pretty quick, but you can't you can't do it alone because um, you have to take days off uh, and you're not working seven days a week. So someone is always carrying that phone, regardless of if you're working or not. So you need to have like a core team of people that are willing to go down there and also feel like comfortable going down there. Yes. And I think the other piece is, are they comfortable evaluating and managing the most common diagnoses because one barrier that I, I had run into was I would have therapists go down and cover, but they'd say, well, I don't treat vestibular issues or I don't, I don't do low back pain. And I'm like, well, okay, maybe this is not the best setting for you to be in. Let's find somebody who's comfortable with that. Or can we do some training with you 
so that you do feel comfortable managing those conditions. And my own personal soapboxes, if you're a physical therapist, you should be able to at least evaluate those two conditions, no matter what, like I no matter agree. where you are, like that's part of, <laughs> I mean, it's part of your scope of practice. Can you evaluate low back pain and vertigo? So I, I think as physical therapists, we should be able to evaluate anything and, and then know if we need to refer that patient, that's totally fine. But making sure people are comfortable with that because I, I find that the medical team will get very frustrated if they're used to this service being provided. And then another therapist comes down and is like, no, we don't do that. And it's very confusing that messaging. We're, we're running into that a little bit right now. Um, just it's, especially like I said, especially with like vestibular populations. Um, yeah. I mean, everyone's going to give it a good whirl and I love that, but yeah. Um, I, and I understand everyone's got a different level of training and competency there, but yeah, I know the doctors can, I can tell get a little, um, like disappointed if, if you're just like, I don't really know what it is, but I don't think it's BPPV, but I'm not really certified in this. So sorry, <laughs> like yeah, versus I, someone who's certified going down there can be like, this is left vestibular neuritis. Wait, can we please manage that that way? Yes. Yeah. I absolutely agree with you. I think it's it's hard and that we, what we probably need to do as emergency department physical therapists is develop core competencies that PTs can engage with so they know what they're, they need to be prepared for. The problem with that is how do you develop a core competency for everything? That, great question. Great question. <laughs> because you're an all patient therapist. You might need to see a three month old tomorrow. You might need to see a 106-year-old the next day with cervical myelopathy, you might need to see somebody with gastroparesis, you might need to perform wound care. So I think it's very difficult for there to actually be like a, a concrete way to measure whether or not somebody is ready and prepared, but maybe it is that we filter down to what are the most common things we do and make sure you build your toolkit around those and then continue to expand your skill set on the job. What do you think? That's what we've been doing, to be honest. Like, when, when I first started, I, I mean, I, th I think part of the reason I got chosen was because I had a vestibular certification. I was like, I love this. I feel competent in that. And that has like been like the, the easy, like buy-in from the providers down there. So if you go in there, you're like, this is BBV. It's not a stroke. They don't need to be here. Like they think you're the best. Oh, for sure. They're like, this is magic. <laughs> Yes. Like they yeah. give you a hug. They're like, this is amazing. Like, oh, you're wonderful. Now we don't even need to do a CT. Great. Yeah. Okay. But the, the, I mean, I definitely, when I first um, like started, I was like, man, I need to go look at all of my ortho notes uh -huh. from PT school. Like, cause For sure. I had reviewed some of them with like some of the OB stuff that I've done. Cause there's a lot of hip and back pain going on with that. But I was like, man, I have not done a lot of those special tests of the neck in a while. So Yes. And I think also knowing which ones, like being yeah. selective about what you're doing instead of just like going through your like Rolodex of special tests, like which ones, like what are the fewest and most appropriate tests that I can do so I don't make this patient worse while I try and sift through what I've got here. So, Addie, one of the other barriers that you experienced was really about only being ordered for particular diagnoses. And how do you really like branch out from there? 
Yeah, that is definitely something we are trying to grow right now. I feel like they, they're, the providers down there have done a really great job of recognizing like, hey, I don't think this person can go home, like that kind of home safety rehab assessment. Yeah. Or like, wow, they did poor on their road test with nursing. Like, can you come like help us out with this um, just to see if they actually need maybe home health or rehab or something. Great. Love that. We're making strides there. Yeah. But the, I feel like the, um, the ambulatory patients are the ones that we are not getting consulted on as much. Um, like a lot of, I use secure chat a lot on Epic to kind of like shoot them a message like, Hey, I saw this person's in with a fall. Do you think like, you know, I could come assess them. And a lot of times I'll get a response of like, Oh, it was just a mechanical fall. They're fine. Or, Oh, they fall all the time. This is normal for them. What? Yeah. And I'm just like, Oh no. <laughs> that, that is super cringy. I just fall all the time. It's no problem. No big deal. <laughs> Or like they'll be like, oh, they're from assisted living. And then I'm just like, well, just because you're in assisted living doesn't necessarily mean you have assist with walking from point A to point B. Yeah. And we've fallen now in the assisted living. Like, Yeah. So like, is that really the best place to send them back? So um, I feel like the the falls and then even um, some of that musculoskeletal pain on those patients that walked in. Um, they don't always, they're, I should say they, yeah, it's not their first thought always is PT. Um, we have definitely been, I feel like we, uh, my manager did a lot to work on this. She, she's, um, was in communication with like one of the lead ED physicians. And then she actually spoke at one of their meetings, kind of just like presenting the data of like what we've done, but then also trying to highlight those areas where it's like, great, you're using us for all this and we love that. But like, have you considered like how much help we can be if you order us for these patients that we know you're not going to admit, but we could prevent them from coming back to the yes. for the same problem. Yes. And, and I think too, when we think about like the larger context of population health, we know that if you see a patient with low back pain early in that episode of, of, low back pain, that the cost savings is, is what, like approximately $3,000 per patient, I think is what Julie Fritz found. If patients saw a physical therapist, I think within the first 90 days. Now, if I see you when it happened, I, I mean, I don't think there's data yet to support that that has a long-term benefit, but if we just kind of apply that at knowledge that we have, hopefully that makes a huge downstream impact to that patient, that patient's function, and then how they access the rest of the healthcare system. It's also a really good opportunity to refer patients into the outpatient system to make sure they're getting the care that they need. And we're not just sending people out into the wild to continue to deal with these issues that clearly they don't know how to manage because if they could manage them independently, they wouldn't be coming to the emergency department. So I, I, I know that that's often a barrier and some of the concerns for physicians are throughput time, how long it'll take you to see the patient, what you're actually gonna do to that patient, will you make the patient worse? Have you experienced any pushback in that area? Um, I feel like I haven't experienced pushback into like, will I make them worse? Mm -hmm. I do feel like we have experienced like a little bit of a barrier that um, they think will take a, a little longer. 
it's it's difficult, right? Because you get you get praised for the amount of time you spend in the room with a patient. Like they're always so happy for you to come down and give your input. And like, I mean, I remember there was one guy with low back pain. I was in the room for two hours with him and they were, I walked out and they were like, Oh my gosh, you've been in there that entire time. And I was like, yes, but he walked down the hallway and he's good. <laughs> like he, can, now he can go home. Exactly. Yeah. So they're always like really grateful for that. But then I think on the other hand, when it's extremely busy, sometimes um, I mean, I don't, I don't blame them. Sometimes it's hard to be like, oh my gosh, well, if therapy goes in there, like that room's not going to be available for, for a little while. Um, yeah. It's a balance, right? Like, cause, yeah. cause we can't have bedlock, especially if there are actual emergencies coming in. Like we really need to move people through. But at the same time, if there's a way to manage that, that's a barrier we can can move people away from. And again, we're right back to that access to care. If I knew that we could give you a referral to PT and you could then see a physical therapist in a timely manner, I would feel much better about those patients just being discharged. Same. Yeah. But it's it's hard to get. I don't, it's hard to get people into therapy relatively quickly, but I also think there's just a general lack of public awareness that if you have back pain, go see an outpatient PT. Yeah. Like everyone, you've probably seen this too. Everyone walks in and they're like, oh, I've tried everything. I went to the chiropractor and I did acupuncture and I went to an orthopedic surgeon and it's like, and no one's tried therapy or they've, they've tried therapy and they went twice. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, it's like, it's about fit. It's about making sure you're, you understand that the the reason, and we find with our data that if we send a patient directly from the emergency department with a referral to PT, but they don't see the physical therapist in the emergency department, they're very unlikely to go to that appointment. If they see the physical therapist in the emergency department, they immediately understand that value and are way more likely to actually follow up in the clinic and see the physical therapist for ongoing care. Yeah, I feel like half of our job is like patient buy-in. <laughs> like yeah. get them convinced to go to outpatient and get it. Cause like, let's be real, like I'm I'm probably not going to get like completely fixed your back problem with one PT session. No. But if I can convince you that like outpatient therapy will help, then I'm going to set up that appointment for you. Like I actually sit in the room and I call the outpatient clinic and I schedule every single appointment for anyone I'm recommending outpatient therapy for, because I mean, research shows that if you have an appointment set up, the chances of them actually attending it are higher. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think, I think too, we just need to like set people up for success and empower them to be involved in their own care. One thing I often say to patients is the good news is this is fixable. Like this whole issue that you're managing right now is not harmful in the long run. It is fixable. Um, But you know, the, the less popular news is that it might take a while to fix and you might have to participate in this care in order to get this problem completely resolved. And I find people are are pretty receptive to that. I think it's just hard for people to understand that if they suddenly had this issue, that it might take a while to get better. Like they feel like quick onset, there should be a quick fix, which isn't always the case. But then you get somebody with BPPV and you can 
fix them and they're like, you're the most magical human in the world. I love that. That's my favorite part. That's my favorite too. <laughs> I know. I love that. Or when you help somebody get placed into a rehab facility and their family who's been struggling to care for them just starts sobbing because they finally feel like their, their loved one will be safe. Uh, you know, those are the things that I think really keep me coming back. So the last thing I wanted to talk to you about is burnout. Cause that was something that you mentioned. And I think anyone who works in the emergency services setting or healthcare in general is at high risk of burnout. So what advice do you have for people on how to avoid burnout in this setting? Um, I would say definitely talking to like, I definitely talk a lot with my like coworkers that also work down there or like my, I have a very supportive supervisor and manager. So they're always trying to help me like come up with ways to make it more manageable really. Um, like we've done a lot of hour changes to try to make it more flexible to avoid hitting overtime. Um, I can't take credit for this, but one of my professors in PT school, like literally first year, all told us to make something called a feel-good file, which he said that and I've, I've changed it a bit because I feel like we don't get physical like notes anymore. Um, but he said, anytime like a patient writes you a note or like a thank you card or something for like being very appreciative of your service, like put it in your file and keep it there for when you're having a bad day. And so what I do, because I feel, I don't know, I feel like I don't get a lot of like physical handwritten cards from people, but what I do instead is like if a patient or a family member or like a coworker or a provider says something really positive or nice to me. I, ha I have this little like just note file on my phone and I write it down. And so if I am just having this like awful day, I like look at it and I just read all of these wonderful things people had to say about me. And it just makes me feel so much better. It kind of reminds you like, man, this is a hard process, but it's also super rewarding. And it, I don't know, it just puts me in a really a lot better of place for the next day. I love that. I'm totally going to steal that. Do it. I love it too. That's amazing. Okay. So we got a feel good file. What else? We're, we have friends and family support. We have coworker support. We have a feel good file. What else do you do for yourself to help kind of, I, I guess the question for me is like, how do you set, set kind of protective boundaries around yourself to not take home what you see and what you manage every day? I, I have definitely, I mean, I take out a lot on, uh, I exercise. That is like my, that is my me time. And I prioritize it every day. <laughs> I'm like, I don't, no matter what, like I need, I need this just to help me like manage my stress, but also like it gives me some self care for myself that day. Yes. So regardless of it, I can understand maybe that exercise isn't for everyone every day, but do something that you love, like whether that's take the time to like watch your garbage reality TV show or read a book or um, like just call a friend on the phone or something, something that you enjoy doing and you look forward to doing. I always try to prioritize that every day. So I don't, I don't want to go home and just constantly be thinking about work. Yeah. Yes. 
The other thing I do too, which I'm trying to be better at, is I am purposely trying to use a lot more PTO. <laughs> I have it built up. I should use it and take a vacation. I love that. And I think this is probably the first year for me that I have taken all my PTO and I have taken even some unpaid leave on days when I felt like I needed to do that for whatever reason. If it was offered, like if the hospital was oddly overstaffed for a day, I was like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm happy to take that day and take that time. And I think we don't do that enough. And I was talking to somebody who's told me that they have so much PTO that they could take a week off every month. That's amazing. Why, why don't they take a week off every month? Well, because of staffing issues, right? Well, that's true. Okay. So, but I was just like, Wow. Like, you know, you could decrease your FTE for like a whole year and just work four days a week or three days a week or whatever the case may be. I just thought that was incredible. But but like maybe let's not get to that point. No, no. Which I think is it's hard growing when you're trying to like grow a program like I like it's kind of silly, but like at times I feel I almost feel like if I'm not there, I'm like burdening someone else with having to go do it. Yes. Which I'm, which is unrealistic because I can't be there every day. Correct. But <laughs> you're gonna have to forgive also, yourself that one. Yeah, it's also hard though. Like knowing that when people do cover it, they they're like, oh my gosh, this was so stressful, or like they freak out every time the phone rings, and it's yeah, so it's it's hard. You almost have to just be like, it's gonna be fine. And then you it's just, gonna be fine. And you deserve your time off, and it's fine. You do. All right, Addie, so tell us final thoughts. If somebody's thinking about starting a pilot program in the ED, we talked about a lot of barriers today, but what are what are your parting words of wisdom for that person who's listening? I would tell them not to give up. I would tell them to keep going because I've honestly, like we've been doing it for two years now and it's not, it's not perfect, but it's, it's grown a lot. Um, and it's honestly like, I, I would not want to go back to doing just acute care after it. Like it's really, it's a very exciting place to practice, very rewarding place to practice. And I, I feel like more people that step into it will realize how wonderful it is and how much you can actually help patients like short and long-term really. Yeah. So worth the, worth the struggle, worth the reward to do the best thing that we can for our patients. Always for sure. Well, thank you so much for being here. You've been in the ED now, and Addie, you're officially discharged. Well, thanks. <laughs>Thank you for listening. In the ED Now is a podcast hosted and produced by Rebecca Griffith, the ED DPT, as part of Rebecca Griffith Physical Therapy, LLC. Our podcast makes you an excellent emergency department physical therapist. This podcast is intended for educational use only and is not intended as clinical or medical advice. While we make every effort for accuracy, factual errors may be present. Since you've been in the ED, I'm prepared to give you your discharge instructions. Please subscribe, share, and find more at the eddpt.com. You're officially discharged.